James, this week I want to talk about UIs and I want to talk about performance and I want to talk about having responsive UIs. It's all because I was using an app and it didn't have a responsive UI, but I'm not going to throw that app under the bus. But I thought it would be a good time to talk about my perspective on how you make UIs fast and I'd love to get your perspective. Sound like an okay topic? Yeah, that sounds great, Frank, because I look at code all the time, code that I've written, but also code that others have written. And sometimes I go, hmm, I think that this code may be a little problematic for your user interface. Perhaps <laughs> you don't want to query geolocation every single time the accelerometer has changed. I'm just wow. saying that may seem problematic, Frank. That you've seen that in an app. So every time the accelerometer changes, which is like, a billion times a second, you do a geolocation. That's good. Yeah, um, not not the best code. <laughs> Probably not the most ideal, but I could see how you would get into that circumstance, right? Because you're like, well, I need the location, obviously, because I might be building some application that needs a combination of those things. So I need the current location and I need to get back um, the accelerometer information. So why don't I just query, you know, the the given geolocation when an accelerometer changes. So that seems like a good idea. Um, but, you know, that can cause a lot of things. You know, I think when I think of performance, I think of the UI I've written, like how complex is it? I think about, am I writing bad code? Like, am I blocking? Am I making too many calls? Am I overloading the system? Is GC going crazy right now? Uh, these are all sort of problems that can come into play with the butter smooth you know, performance, like every tiny millisecond, every little code change really has impact. So this topic is near and dear to my heart, Frank. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I was going to go into this whole spiel about like, it's really hard to make an app correct. So once we get an app working, we're just like, and it's fast enough. Uh, we don't really look into like all the performance issues, usually until beta testers run into them. At least that's when I am definitely faced with it most furiously um but yeah i'm still reeling from your geolocation example i'm still thinking about that i'm like that's not even correct your app's not correct at that point so i don't want to talk about obvious mistakes like that i want to talk about um a little more subtle one specifically the problem of queuing up a bunch of commands so i have this friend who works as a beta tester for me and by works i mean does it voluntarily i don't pay him anything mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but he is notorious for clicking buttons or clicking anywhere on the screen as fast as he can while testing my apps. Mm -hmm. And so I am constantly dealing with the problem of uh, queuing up operations, even if you're using async and await, there's issues there, locking up the UI, doing too many operations, throttling, cancellation, all that stuff. I can't wait to talk about this. This is the stuff I actually think about all the time. <laughs> Yeah, and I came from a game background originally, so things like this are also, um, like I said, near and dear to my heart because these are things that you you normally don't do when you're developing the game or the app. You don't sit there and you don't jam on a button five billion times to see what's going to happen. You don't scroll up and down really, really fast. You don't attempt to type at blazing fast speeds, you know, as much as you can in, in these different instances, uh, or you don't maybe try to drag 5,000 things onto a screen when you usually are dragging one thing onto the screen. So 
I could imagine that these complications for the types of apps that you're building can really come up. Yeah, and you just reminded me of how bad of testers devs are. So I guess we'll do a public service announcement here and (laughs) remind everyone that you definitely need someone else testing your apps. If you're a small dev like me, you think, oh, you know, I I tried out all the features. I wrote the feature. It worked that one time. It's going to be fine. Um, You know, it's that correctness problem. But then, yeah, I just sorry, keep saying it, but it's the performance on top of that. What if someone does that same thing 30 times in a row? And I just never test for that. Yeah. Now I talked about like the stuff that I see, but you said that you saw something specific, something in an app in which (laughs) you were using. And this brought up this throttling versus cancellation issue. So what did you see? Like, what is the problem that you were sort of suffering from? James, I'm a bad text editor user. I don't have like all those VI commands memorized to jump around five lines down, six characters to the right. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't navigate that well in code. <laughs> Small thing. <laughs> so I come from a video game background, and I use the cursor keys. <laughs> and if I want to move the cursor, I just hold the down arrow until the cursor gets where it's going, or I hold the right arrow until the cursor gets where it's going. <laughs> I'm so bad. Like even on Mac, you can like hold Alt and like go word by word or is it command i don't know there's like all these combinations you can do to go word by word and all that i don't do any of them i just want the cursor to move as fast as i can like a video game Mm. so (laughs) in this app which i'm again gonna remain keep nameless um it wants to show you information whenever the cursor moves Mm. and that meant and I have a little override in Mac OS. You can do this. You know how there's the key repeat rate? So if you hold down the letter F and you just keep holding it, how fast do more Fs come up? Well, that affects the cursor keys. Yeah. So I accelerated mine. Did you know you could do that? I did not know you could do that. That's really cool, though. <laughs> yeah. So just in your system settings, there's a little slider. You can speed it up. But it still wasn't fast enough for me. So you can find the right info plist file, or I, I assume on Windows there's a registry setting somewhere where you can actually uh, speed all that up and get the fastest cursor movements you can possibly handle. I love it. So anyway, <laughs> needless to say, I was queuing up a lot of work for this app to do because, again, you write the code every time the cursor moves. Uh, do this, do that, look this up. Even if it's asynchronous, you're still queuing up a lot of work. If it's not asynchronous, really bad. You're, you're locking up the UI thread. So this can result in a lot of a variety of problems that you witness. Um, jitteriness, like the cursor isn't smoothly moving across the screen. It pauses. A bunch of UI flashes and then gets dismissed because the cursor has moved on. And so it was that that actually got me thinking, not just at the problem of queuing up a lot of work, that's something we all have to deal with, but specifically the problem of throttling versus cancellation. Because it broke my heart to see my CPU and all that code putting all that effort into showing a window that it was immediately going to dismiss <laughs> a millisecond later. Uh, so that was, have you seen that in any text editors? Yeah, the thing with text editors or even like little pop-ups of IntelliSense or bubbles or information, you know, you could imagine you'd hover over VAR, for instance, it would tell you what it is. These are all the IntelliSense things that are popping up. Maybe it's it's something popping up in Roslyn or in different text editors. It might be like OmniSharp or it could just be 
literally anything. There's so many different little things that happen. In fact, we're inside of Google Docs right now in our topic sheet. And I was like, huh, I wonder how Google does it. Because as I move around in the sheet, there's UI elements that are updating uh, here. So Mm -hmm. if I just go up and down certain, it's very um, peculiar how they did it. So I'm looking in the cell. It's just an Excel spreadsheet. When you move around, it's clear that this cell area updates. So if I'm on 150 and B, as I move to the the left or right, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, they all update. They get a little bit of grid overlay. The little cursor moves. It's moving pretty okay. We have a pretty big spreadsheet. As I go up and down on the topics, I can see that the little function area, which is just text, updates there. That, that makes sense because as I'm scrolling through. But then there's something else that I notice, which is mm-hmm. there's a toolbar. And the toolbar has 20, 30 things that could potentially change based on the cell that you're on. Mm-hmm. And they don't update that until you stop. Ah, smooth. Yep. So let's talk about what tricks to do all that. So throttling, I think that there's a few different ways of throttling when I think of it. Uh, I think of two specifically. The one kind of throttle is, let's assume that you have an infinite Excel sheet here and you're just holding a cursor key and you're just flying through the cells. Mm -hmm. I think one kind of throttling is instead of updating the UI every time... um, the, the cursor moves, you only update it maybe, you know, five times a second or just once a second, you know, something like that. You, you throttle it and you still do it once every second. The other way is you don't do it at all and then catch up at the end. <laughs> and so, yeah, so those, I, I, I wish I had a computer science degree because I'm sure they have very fancy names, but those are the two kind of throttles I always think of. So we're periodically updating and then just one big update toward the end. When you write code, which one do you do? I, when I write code, I probably do the latter, which is whenever something changes, sort of wait until everything changes and then do it. You know, it's sort of the tapped versus selected you select something once, but you could tap on things multiple times. You want to do it on selected, not tap necessarily, because I could tap a bunch of different things, but a selection is more imperative. But I think mm, there's a little bit uh, different of how I maybe throttle or cancel. That is a better example of just waiting on event, which was inside of the Evolve app, we had a search box. It's a kind of uh, canonical example, right? You have a search box. The user is entering some text and you want to filter that list as they type. This sounds like a good throttle versus cancellation thing. Is this a... This This is classic. This is every reactive programming demo. (laughs) They're like, let us show you throttling and let us show it to you with a search box. So I I love this. This is like, yeah, baby's first throttling. (laughs) So there's the easy way to do it, right? Which is let them enter something and then click on a search button. That's very easy. Right? That's the easy Man- manual throttling. We'll call that one <laughs> manual throttling. Now, uh, which is what... the worst, I should say. Um, I, I was just using an app. I've really come to expect 
as I'm typey, typey, typing, and as I just give a little pause at the end, it should search for me. Apps that don't do that, I don't know if they're delaying because of the network, because there is always that, like, you know, this is the thing about update your UIs, people. Um, like, you don't know if it's just waiting for the network or if I should be going and looking for a search button <laughs> that I'm supposed to click somewhere. So I totally yeah. hate search buttons. Uh, yeah, I hate search buttons, too. And I was just using um, No Shade because it's my favorite podcast app, a Pocket Cast. And they redid all their UI and there's a big search button and there's a big search box up top. And as you type, it gives a little spinner that something is happening. But I don't actually know if anything is happening. There's like a cancel button. Like right now, I just entered stuff and then eventually it says no results. But I was I was typing and some results would pull back and then it would change again. Then it would go back. I was like, I'm not done typing my thing yet. Like, you know, calm down. And <laughs> in the way I did it in the Evolve app was some old code that I maybe had taken from some other example. But whenever the text would change, I would save the value of that field, wait, I don't know, maybe 100 milliseconds or something like that. And then um, if the text was the same, then do the search. And um, and then if it was different, then wait another 100 milliseconds, save the current value and then do the check again. So that was my throttle, I assume. Wow. OK, so I've never programmed it that way. This is why I like our conversations. So it, it sounds like you used a wait. You used a wait for that because otherwise that'd be a real nightmare to code. <laughs> yeah, I used a wait. So whenever it was coming through, I'd have to try to find the source code example uh, in it. but. As you're talking, so I'll attempt good. to find it. Yeah, yeah, um, I like that. So, um, uh, roughly speaking, I haven't done it that way myself because I'm always afraid of uh, queuing up too many awaits and things like that. And so, I tend to use a timer instead. But we'll, we can talk about that later. Uh, I'm still more interested to hear exactly how you do yours. So, on change, call this method. Um, it remembers the value that. Um, it was invoked for yes if it stays that way does a little bit of a delay if it's still that way it actually does the query that's fair that's, I, yep. I think that works yeah that's correct now i just sent you a link now it is not great code necessarily <laughs> uh however so this method i have an execute filter sessions which gets executed every time the user enters anything and it is not awaited so every time you type it'll be fired off blah 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 blah, blah, blah right just really fast. So the mm -hmm. entirety of what's going to happen here is the filter um, is is the value that is set. And if it's empty, basically give up. You don't need to filter anything. You should just you clear it out at that point. Um, else you're trying to diff for all intents and purposes what's in here. So you save out the, the query, you await a task delay, then you check the query. And if it's um, has changed, then you return out. So the whole idea is that as the user is typing, you are validating the old versus the current. And if those are different, then cancel out. But if they're the same, then now we can search and we can filter things. Yep. Okay. Reasonable. I have two critiques. <laughs> do you care okay. for them? <laughs> I do. I, I was never happy with this code, by the way. Never happy with okay. it. Okay. I, I think overall it's fine, though. So these are just critiques. Um, there's a small issue of repeated queries of you going to the web service twice. Let's say I type in the word Frank. 
then put an O, then hit backspace. There's a potential that you would still have two francs queued up and they would both execute within their time limits. Yeah, so you have that small small issue there, though. No biggie. Um, the bigger concern I have, and this is the engineer in me, is you're forcing a latency into the system that I don't love, that um, that delay of whatever. How, how long did you say you did? What's a good wait for you? I did 250 milliseconds. Quarter of a second. Yeah, I tend to do a third of a second. I'm impatient. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> this sounds good. The thing is, I don't like forcing that. So I do a slightly different technique than this. It's roughly the same, though. So you're looking at the text changed event, and I fire off a thing. And immediately I do, and I save off the variable. Immediately I do the web request for it. Now, if someone hits another key, I cancel that previous request mm. instead of instead of um, just allowing it to complete or telling it to delay itself. I just do it immediately and then cancel it if I don't need it, which is just it doesn't introduce any extra latency than is absolutely necessarily there by the network. So the faster your network is, the faster it can do its job. If your network queries are super fast, it'll actually still get the results and show them briefly. Uh, so small difference there, but this is kind of what I, the whole topic I wanted to get into. So we walked into this nicely is just throttling versus cancellation. Now, I will tell you, Frank, that what you just described is what I thought I would have had to do or probably didn't really know how to execute correctly because this sample of the Evolve app, I have all the data. There are no web requests that are happening. It's only filtering. That's it. So I have the easy, the easy out. The hard part <laughs> is what you just described, which is what happens if you actually have to make that web request. So are you saving around cancellation tokens and is that what's happening and you yep. cancel the current and then I guess you handle the cancellation gracefully? Yeah, exactly. So uh, cancellation tokens, they are your friend. And in this case, you really only need one. You just need to remember what was the last task you were running. Technically, you could remember the task, but tasks aren't associated with cancellation. So you need a cancellation token. Should we talk about these briefly? Do people know much about cancellation? I didn't mean to get into the nitty gritty of it just yet, but or we could stay higher level for the moment. Well, let's do that, Frank. But let's take a break and thank our good sponsor this week, Raygun. That's right. Because listen, are you having struggles replicating bugs or even performance issues? Literally the stuff that we're talking about. We did not even plan this. All you got to do is plug Raygun into your web or mobile application right now, and they will help you diagnose problems in minutes rather than hours. You can kiss goodbye having to dig through files, relying on frustrated user reports to, to dive through all those crazy issues and, and feedback or you know actually store things that are coming in, reviews. You don't want those bad stars. You want the good stars. You want the five stars because you want to create these performant, great applications. So Raygun, you plug it in in minutes and you start getting in all of this data for your application. So this is going to allow you to help create flawless software experiences for your customers Again, in minutes, the reporting is amazing. Crash reporting, performance monitoring, they have all the tools built in and it links up to any of your tools that you're using, whether it's GitHub or Azure DevOps or anything like that. It'll give you insights into these bug reports to make your job easier. You can start 
today for free by going to raygun.com. That's raygun.com. And thanks to Raygun for sponsoring this week's pod. Thank you, Raygun. Yes. So what are task completion source and tasks and cancellation tokens and <laughs> and sources and, and things? I, I forget World. all the time. I always forget. <laughs> There's only two two classes you have to remember here. So Whirlwind Tour, the .NET cancellation system. If you use a different language, um, actually not many languages have a good reified cancellation system. .NET's one of the few things it does. Um, but otherwise, just copy this design because it's pretty good. <laughs> So <clears throat> let's say I want to have a long running process and I want it to be cancelable. There's a million ways you can solve this, but the best way is to use what's provided in .NET, and that is cancellation tokens and the thing that creates them, a cancellation token source. Now, the way this works is if you're the creator of the task, you create a cancellation token source. And it's with that object that you can call .cancel. So whenever you want to signal that whatever long process you're doing should stop itself, you say you you hold a pointer to this cancellation token source and you say dot cancel. Pretty simple, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now the trick is, yep. Now the trick is the cancellation tokens. So the the model is you don't pass around cancellation token sources. You can't you pass around these cancellation tokens, which you can get from the source very easily. Now the thing is. This is not preemptive cancellation. This isn't like saying thread abort. It is an opt-in system. You have to look at the variable cancellation token dot is cancellation requested and then do the right thing in your own code. No exception is thrown. None of that happens. It is an opt-in system. You've seen that, right? We all, if you write an async function, you're supposed to take a cancellation token at the end of it. That is, um, yeah, I think it's based on how long potentially that would take to occur. Right? I, yeah, roughly, sure. The bigger one for me is if it's doing IO, like if you're doing a web request or file access. That that for me, I think, should always have a cancellation token, but please continue. Or Or geolocation. Perhaps. <laughs> uh, in exactly. fact, you know, for a few of our APIs in Xamarin Essentials, we take in cancellation tokens. Uh, for instance, geolocation takes in one because that could go on. If you say never timeout, a good example is if you just call get location, it gives an infinite timeout. So it's like, I'm going to get the yes. time. I'm going to get it. Who knows when I'll return? So you don't want to wait on that. You probably want to do a continue with, or you just want to let it run for some instance. But what if your users close your app, navigate to a page, you need to be able to cancel that thing. And that's where a cancellation Mm -hmm. token comes in. It's it's exactly what it does. So we, um, in that library attempt to cancel when we can. So uh, a good example is this, why it's opt in, like you're saying is because you can't always just randomly cancel, right? So for instance, let's say you it's say- It's not safe. Yeah, it's it might not be safe. That. Yeah, so f- for, for one good good request might be, hey, you know, I've called this API and um, right now what's happened is it's popped up a dialog box, the first thing it does to request permission. And then you call cancel. Well, we're awaiting the cancellation thing, the, the, the permission box. We can't cancel out just yet. 
Now, as soon as the user does something, we will look to say, oh, has it been canceled? All right, get out of there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But uh, that is one instance in where, you know, since it's opt in, we can cancel at certain parts and we will try to get out as soon as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, and basically I use it for any async code that comes from the UI, just because I play this trick that we were just talking about, not just for search boxes, but for pretty much everything <laughs> like um i i have our basic throttling that we were talking about for the button click problem but for everything else i use cancellation and that means it's quite a bit more work in my code but the benefits are huge because it's not just queuing up a bunch of work and then discarding results it's saying queuing up a bunch of work and then ideally canceling that work before it even starts to execute. So while it's an opt-in system and it means that throughout your code, you're going to have if cancellation requested return, if cancellation requested return. And it really is ugly. There, there's no, there's no beauty to computer science here. There is no art of computer programming. This is just raw engineering that I need to designate safe places for this code to get out so that I can guarantee that, um, not just that the UI is responsive, but I'm not overly taxing the uh, CPU and creating terrible latency in the system. I could have a 60 hertz UI, but still have 10 million years worth of work queued up in poor dot, .NET's task manager. Yeah, so would in this instance of you're moving the cursor left and right, would you, every time you move is... Well, every time you attempt to open up dialog, you would put in a cancellation, you know, token basically. Yeah. And every time you move again, you would cancel it. Is that would that kind of fix yeah. the throttling issue? Or is it a combination written, of the throttling? Uh, it, it's exactly what you said. Um, I think we can all imagine what the code must look like. There is this big hard task of gather a bunch of information that could be I/O bound, it could be CPU bound. You know, it's a big heavy task, mm -hmm. and whoever was writing the code is like, I'm going to await that because I'm a good programmer and I don't want to block the UI thread. And then you figure, ah, the await returns, uh, time to pop up the dialogue box. Yeah. It's, it's that gap right between there where that is a perfect time to catch a cancel, uh, look for that cancellation flag. Because I just finished this one big process. I'm about to start another big process, which is show you why. That's a big process. So that is just such a perfect point. Uh, anytime you have a loop and anytime you have a gap between large processes, just throw in a little cancellation check there, start pass passing that cancellation around, and you'd be surprised how much work you can save the CPU. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't really thought too much about using uh, them in the in the past. I mean, here and there I would. It becomes the point where I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm just calling this code and my app will return at some point, like no big deal. But when you get into the 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 deep of it, where you're doing these more complex things, where things are updating all the time, this is where you need to really worry about. How many calls am I queuing up? Like what happens when my user navigates away? What happens when they do something else? They don't even need this data anymore. I think that's what's also of interest. If if the, the user enters hello and then you make a request and then they delete it, then you they say world, you know, 
you don't we don't even want to finish that first request. You don't even want to deserialize it. You don't want other things to happen in your code. So the implication of the only throttle mechanism is that since you haven't canceled, even if that thing finishes, you probably are still going to do a bunch of work extra while the new thing is executing. And that is going to lead to those hangs in your UI that your users aren't going to like. Yeah, I could uh, tell a little war story here. Uh, so continuous, my IDE. I In its model, every time you press a key on the keyboard, it recompiles your code, re-executes your code, and updates the UI on every single keystroke with no introduced latency. All the latency is how fast can it do its task. Mm. And that's what makes it so fast and fun and fluid because that was always my goal of doing all of that stuff. The problem is um, compiling .NET code on uh, an iPhone or an iPad is a pretty big task for the CPU. And I could never have two instances of Roslyn compiling at the same time. Even if my code could handle it, because I did your little field check, you know, is, you know, is <laughs> that was the old value. This is the new value. Are they the same? Fine. I'll show you my result. I just couldn't have that operation continue on. Um, I could not have two Roslins running at the same time because then the UI would start to slow down. And that was my rule. The UI would never slow down. So I had to make sure that with a vengeance, I canceled <laughs> um, Roslyn. And it's really nice because they designed it that way. So all of the big, long-running functions in Roslyn take a cancellation token. And it was so thrilling to get my code outfitted with cancellation like that because all of a sudden, what was this thing where I couldn't type five letters and you know the CPU would just be burdened and everything would slow down? Now all of a sudden, I could type as fast as I want and it would just scream at Rosalind, cancel, 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 stop, stop, stop. Oh my God, <laughs> we need yeah. the CPU back. <laughs> yeah, and it and it's and let's say even if you could compile that fast and and it was just perfect, there's also the unintended effects. So so let's say everything was super crazy fast, right? So everything could do it. So as you're typing, the other problem that you have is what happens when there's you know, you haven't finished typing something. You're you're typing, but it's going to give you a compilation failure or it's going to be successful or it mm -hmm. might be a bunch of failures over. So even if it was super quick, you know, even in the search example, let's say everything was near immediate. The other thing is that the the human brain can only, uh, and your, your, your eyes can only, um, comprehend things so fast. And there, there's, there's, uh, some cognitive load there as I'm typing, I don't need things to update instantaneously. Often I need it to be at a certain point in which I can comprehend it. I was looking, I was browsing Twitter, uh, earlier today and I saw Brandon, I go from Brandon, uh, he had a, did a new blog post about, I swear you not about a search, a searching GitHub repositories. And he had a, uh, as you type, he would call to filter it immediately. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this is similar to what I did in the Evolve app because he already had the data. So he has everything. So he's just going to filter it. But in his GIF, you can see that as he is typing, the UI list view is bouncing so fast because every single keystroke he's filtering. <laughs> so it's like, right? 
So even though it can handle all of the input, it's now actually a bad experience because it's filtering it too fast, you know, and the UI is refreshing to handle it. And it's actually a bad experience. I love that. Yeah. So you, you don't have to put a throttle in because the system can't handle it. You have to put a throttle in because humans can't handle it because yeah. it's not comfortable. Yeah. Take a yeah, look at for take, cert- <laughs> take a look at this twi- tweet and you'll see exactly what I mean. I'll put it in the show notes. No shade on Brandon. <laughs> oh, it's a great can, blog post. But you know. I can imagine it because I've run into it. I mean, I think we've all like, yeah, because uh, I have a search in MoCast that actually does a local memory search. So it is super fast. I don't have to wait for anything. And I did throttle that because I know exactly what you mean. It was flicker, 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 flicker. And it was really bad. So I've uh, I've run into that problem. It's fine. Um, it is. Um, so animation. Let's get to that for a second. So you were saying that the human eye can only perceive information at this certain rate. That's true. But I want to make a dis- distinguish between perceiving information and recognizing motion and the fluidity of motion. We are insanely perceptible at seeing discontinuities in motion. If something jitters just the littlest little bit, you know, we're like, hunt it, kill it, eat it. It must be food because it, it, it was a discontinuous motion. Therefore, it's alive and we should eat it. So I think that we are really hyper trained to doing that. And that's why um, I think that you can, A, um, be very careful and don't lock up your UI thread to make sure you have that 60 frames per second, but B, use it to your advantage and actually use animations. So I have the exact same problem in continuous as the text editor has. You're flying through with your cursor and I wanna chase it with an IntelliSense window. That IntelliSense window can't possibly keep up. So I put on a little animation and it's a little bouncy animation. So it's a little cute thing. So it's like the window is trying to keep up, even though it's in the background, it's throttling, canceling, it's doing all sorts of this crazy janky stuff on the screen. It's just this cute little window bouncing along as you type. And I think that it's just fun uh, covering all your terrible slowness in cute animations. Yeah. And, you know, I I agree with that, too. And I didn't hopefully I'm not a uh, I'm not a scientist. I don't understand necessarily the human vision and eyes and what we can comprehend. I just know my own perception. I agree. Oh, yeah. You do notice uh, when things are inconsistent uh, more than anything. So when things are consistent, that's okay, like you're saying. And a good example of this, I watch a lot of these video teardowns for the Nintendo Dispatch podcast. And a lot of these games like Wolfenstein that get ported over uh, to other hardware or they're not even just ported to lower end hardware, but upper end hardware trying to trying to do so much with lighting and rasterization, their frames dip, right? You are fine when everything's at a constant. It's funny if a game's running at a constant 60 frames per second or a constant 30 frames per second, you're fine with that, right? Because it's constant. Yeah. Everything's great. But if that dips down into 50 or dips down into 25, you notice those frame drops, regardless if it's running at that higher or lower, the, the, it's the same. Any drop in that is bad. So having a consistent 30 frames per second is better than having a dipping 60 frames per second. But um, to going back to your how do we do stuff in the UI to make our users perceive everything is fluid, I go back to the old school and hopefully our listeners will appreciate this Windows phone days. 
And the Windows Phone <laughs> days of yore, if you will, they had this genius idea, uh, which was how to make users perceive that everything was fast and fluid as your app was loading, or more importantly, your mm -hmm. pages is, were transitioning, which was to give... Which, which Wait, wait, wait. Before we peek behind the curtain, I want to say they pulled it off because that operating system always felt so smooth. I would get it on the cheapest phone possible and everything was just always animating very cutely. Loading apps, sure, it showed their splash screen for a second, but everything felt very lively on that phone. All right. Reveal your terrible trade secrets, James. <laughs> well, this isn't a trade se se secret. Like inside the OS for all intents and purposes, or in the operating system in different libraries, you could have uh, animate in, animate out uh, animations. And what that would do is that it would play this nice animation while your UI was loading in the background. So by the time the animation finished, your UI was loaded. And that might be one second or a half a second, but it was enough time to give that UI time to catch up and inflate itself. And it was it was genius. Yes, yes. So I love how I went from a topic where I was telling people how to make their code performant to us covering up our <laughs> unperformant code with the animations. Whatever, both sides. <laughs> whatever works for you, you got to get it done. But performance, regardless of how you handle it, which we've talked about a lot today, there's lots of ways of doing it. Yes, sir. Well, that was fun. Thank, thanks for letting me talk. I think I put cancellation on our, to on our topic list like years ago. So I'm glad. I'm glad we got to it. Yeah. And I do want to come back to it because there's a lot more deep, deep, deep things that we can go into as maybe I'll go and fix this code and maybe put in some cancellation tokens or pull, do a pull request to Brandon's code. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, well, Frank, thank you so much for uh, throttling and canceling and not throttling or canceling on our cadence of this podcast every single Monday. We appreciate all of our amazing listeners around the globe. Of course, you can contact us on the internet. Go to MergeConflict.fm. Follow us on Twitter at James Montemagno, at MergeConflict.fm, at Proclarum. All the things. Share it with your friends. Do all the things. Frank, thank you so much. I love you with all my heart. So that's going to do it for this week's pod. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.